Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Um, so for those of you who maybe uh, don't know me, my name is Brett, and I'm the worship leader here, uh, but I'm also doing a pastoral residency, uh, which means that I get opportunities like this to, to preach. And it's also just a great way to bless the Ocell family that uh, Kevin and Casey get, get time away to be with each other. So um, as always, I just like to start with prayer. And as I'm praying, I would ask that you'd be praying for me as well, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me. Um, so, Father, uh, we thank you for the, for the privilege, the blessing it is to be able to um, hear from your word, hear what you have written to us, and that through all of your scripture, we get to see Jesus. And so I pray that you would reveal him to us this morning, that it would be made clear um, where Jesus is in all of the, uh, the text that we're going to read, and that he would be made great this morning, um, that, that we would decrease and Jesus would increase, um, and that through your word we would just grow in believing in the good news of Jesus, who he is, what he has done for us. And so I just ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak uh, to all of us, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me this morning, um, and that he would just open up all of our hearts to your word and to, to experience Jesus, to believe in the good news. Uh, so we give this up to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we've been uh, continuing through our series in Acts, and uh, just a, a little bit of a preface of where we've been. Um, so we've got the, the risen Jesus, right? He's hanging out with the apostles and he gives them the commission to go and, and be witnesses of the good news uh, to all people, all nations, right? So um, this is what we've been seeing in, in the book of Acts. We've been seeing that the, um, the church is continuing to grow. More people are being added. But with that, we see in, in increased persecution. Um, so we, we just witnessed last week, we read from um, about Stephen and, and the stoning of Stephen. Right? We saw that, and, and it says that the uh, persecution increase of the church because of this. And now, and now it leads to uh, the church actually being scattered because of this persecution. So this is exactly uh, leading into the text that we're looking at this morning. Now, it is a longer text, um, definitely not as long as what Kevin had to preach last Sunday. Uh, but I decided to break it into three chunks, so I hope that it's a little bit more manageable for us to, to be able to dissect it. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Acts chapter 8. Otherwise, we do have it on the screen as well for you to follow along. So starting in verse 4. Um, so this, uh, this says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many 
who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. All right, so again, th- this comes right after, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing about the, the church, the persecution is increasing, and we see that the, the, the church is now scattered. And so that's where we find ourselves in verse 4. Now, those who were scattered uh, because of the persecution went about preaching the word. Now, now a way you could translate this, and, and some Bibles do, uh, I think more helpful, is um, preaching the, the good news or proclaiming the good news of the word. Um, and, and we're emphasizing this because uh, we're seeing how in the midst of persecution, God uses this to continue gospel advancement. We're, we're seeing how... Um, the, the persecution is actually leading to more people hearing about the good news of Jesus. And so now we're introduced to Philip. So Philip was one of the seven that was chosen um, for the serving of the distribution of daily food to the widows. We, you know, uh, so that was Stephan as well was one of the seven. Um, so Philip, he was one of the seven, and he, he goes down to the city of Samaria, and he's proclaiming, to the people, the Christ. Um, now, now, Christ is not Jesus's last name, um, but it's it's uh, the the Greek word for Messiah, right? Um, which means anointed one. So, so the Jewish people uh, had long anticipated there to be an anointed one, which essentially means someone who is chosen by God for a specific task. And this anointed one, this Messiah, was going to bring about the redemption of God's people. Um, to restore all things. So they were anticipating this. And so this is what Philip is proclaiming to them, that Jesus is that Messiah who is, who is the Redeemer, right? So he's, he's, he's preaching Jesus to the people of Samaria. But then it also says in, in verse 12 um, that he was preaching about the, uh, the good news about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God... Um, it's, it's not just some far-off, you know, future reality of, okay, this is God's heavenly kingdom and I'll get there when I die kind of thing. Um, the kingdom of God is actually an essential part of what Jesus preached as good news, as the gospel. Um, so so uh, we, we see this explicitly in, in the gospel of Matthew, um, where, where Matthew kind of gives a summarizing statement of what Jesus went around preaching and, and, and doing. And it says that he went around preaching... Um, re- repent for the kingdom of heaven, which is uh, another way to say kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or is near. And, and so um, Jesus went around proclaiming good news about the kingdom. So what, what Jesus believed he was doing was that he was ushering in God's kingdom with his coming. So it wasn't just some far off future distant reality of, of, you know, you get to heaven when you die. But Jesus was actually bringing God's kingdom with his coming. And we see this 
uh, through the signs and wonders because the, the kingdom of God, in a sense, is, is God restoring humanity, right? So that's why Jesus is going around. He's healing people. Um, and, and this is exactly what Philip is doing as well. He's, he's preaching about the kingdom of God, but then it also says that he was casting out unclean spirits and he was healing people who were paralyzed and lame. This is exactly what Jesus was doing, right? So, so we see how Jesus ushered in the kingdom with his coming, and now it is the church that continues the advancement of God's kingdom. Um, and, and this is actually why Jesus has us pray that in, in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're, we're advancing the kingdom of God, right? Um, but now, Philip is going to be contrasted with this other person that we're introduced in this story, which is Simon the Magician, right? Um, so there's specific language that Luke is using as he's writing this to kind of grab our attention that, that Philip is uh, being contrasted with Simon the Magician. So um, Simon the Magician, from what we know in this text, is that he, he was amazing people with his magic, right? Um, and he, he amazed them to the point that they actually called him divine. They, they said of, of him that this man is the power of God that is called great, right? So people are walking around seeing all, all these things that Simon the Magician is doing, and they're calling him someone who is divine. But not only that, but Simon called himself great, right? It says that, uh, and he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So he, he's, he's this magician who is boasting in himself, right? And then people are calling him divine. But notice the language that, that Luke uses here. Um, because it says in verse 11 that the people paid attention to Simon uh, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic, right? So, so, they're, so they're paying attention to him. But, but now, um, in verse 6, it says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. So initially they were paying attention to Simon the magician, but now they're paying attention to Philip, right? So we're contrasting Philip and Simon here. But even more so, it talks about how the people were amazed with Simon the magician in everything that he was doing. But then it says that even Simon, in verse 13, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Right? So the people were amazed with, with Simon and, and the magic he was doing, but now even Simon himself is amazed with what Philip is doing. So we're seeing how the kingdom of God and, and the work of Jesus is, is far superior to the work of humans, right? But here's, here's probably the, the biggest thing to note contrasting Simon and Philip. Simon is boasting in of himself, Right? And he's, and he's receiving this affirmation from people that he is divine. But what Philip is doing is Philip is boasting not in himself but in Jesus. Because it says that he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So this calls back to um, uh, earlier in Acts when we have Peter and he heals the lame man and he tells the lame man to get up and walk. And he does it in the name of Jesus, Right? He's calling upon the authority of Jesus. And, um, and then Peter actually takes the attention off of himself and is saying, Jesus was the one who worked this miracle, 
right? So this is what Philip is doing as well. He's, he's advancing the kingdom of God, but he's attributing it all to Jesus, right? And, and in this, we can see the heart of Jesus. So there's one text I want us to look at quick. Um, it, it comes from Philippians chapter 2. Um, and, and I think this just so adequately sums up the heart of Jesus in this. Um, so starting in verse 5, this is Paul writing to the uh, church in Philippi. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, so Jesus experiences, so Jesus humbles himself by becoming human and humbles himself to the point of the cross. But this is what's so stunning about this, is he says, therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is the only one that is worthy of boasting in. But what's interesting is the reason that Jesus was exalted was because he humbled himself and went to the cross. Right? So, so, so in this, uh, uh, Philip knows that he's, he, Jesus is the only one worth boasting in, but we also see the heart of Jesus in what Philip is doing because he's not boasting in of himself. It's, it's modeling, resembling the humility of Jesus. I mean, Jesus talked about this when he was with the disciples, and he said, he said that, that I did not come to be served, but to serve, right? So this is the heart of Jesus that we see here. Um, so now, moving on to the next chunk, um, we're going to be going through, starting at verse 14. It says, Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen, yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So uh, to understand the significance of what's happening in this text, we need to understand the relationship between the Jewish people and the, and the Samaritans, right? Um, so this actually goes all the way back um, to, the, to the Old Testament um, because the relationship between the, the Jewish people and Samaritans were, uh, it was hostile. Um, so all the way back, Old Testament, you've got King Rehoboam, right? And, and under his reign, there was a split with Israel. You've got the, the northern tribes, which became known as Israel, and the southern tribes, which became known as Judah. And, and so um, Samaria ended up becoming the capital of the northern tribe of Israel. Um, it, but uh, uh, Samaria was eventually captured by the Assyrians, right? And, and so uh, some of the Israelites were, were, were brought into captivity in Assyria. Um, and then there were foreigners that were allowed to go and move into Samaria. And they, they uh, married with the remaining Israelites in Samaria, right? So 
Um, but also, they kind of adopted each other's religious practices. So now the, the, the Jewish people in, in Judah, the southern tribe, viewed the Samaritans as kind of this uh, racial half-breed of, of half-Jewish people and also people who kind of um, gave up pure, true worship of God, right? So they, so they kind of had this uh, hostile view towards them. But then on top of that, you know, so in Jerusalem was the temple, and that's where you went to worship God. But the Samaritans uh, built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim, right? So, so, they're, so they're essentially rivaling each other with, this is, this is the true place to worship is Mount Gerizim. No, the true place to worship is Jerusalem, right? So they had, so they had this tension. Um, by the second century, somewhere around there, uh, the temple at Mount Gerizim was destroyed. But even in Jesus' day, we actually see that there's still this um, uh, commitment to worshiping at Mount Gerizim, right? And we can actually see this in, in John 4 when Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. She actually is, is dialoguing with Jesus about, okay, you Jewish people say Jerusalem is the place to worship, but we worship here on this mountain, right? So she's, she's tapping into this, this debate between um, th- these two people groups, right? So, so there's great hostility between the two of them, but we actually can see this as well um, with the disciples. The disciples showed great hostility towards the Samaritans. In, in Luke chapter 9, um, I believe we got it up on the screen as well, um, you've got Jesus and the disciples, they're walking through a Samaritan town, and, and the Samaritans are kind of, you know, scoffing at Jesus and the disciples, and this is what it says. It says, when the disciples... Uh, James and John saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> and then Jesus rebukes them for saying this. But um, this, this was the, the type of attitude that they had towards Samaritans. So we've got this, this tension, but now what happens is the apostles hear that the Samaritans just got the, the gospel, the good news preached to them, and they're believing it, but for some reason the Holy Spirit's not fallen on them yet. So this is kind of a significant thing, and they're, and they're thinking, um, so this isn't like, okay, so it says they were baptized only in the name of the Lord Jesus. This isn't like a, it's not, you know, inferior baptism or anything. It's God is uniquely withholding the Holy Spirit, I believe, for the specific moment of, of the apostles, the Jewish apostles coming down and giving the apostolic affirmation to the Samaritans that they now are receiving the Holy Spirit in the same way. So we're seeing how, how Jesus is uniting all these people groups, people who were once hostile towards each other, are now being united under the good news of Jesus. And they're receiving the Holy Spirit in the same way. And think about this. So, so it's Peter and John going down. Think about the, the, the change of heart that had to happen for John. You know, at one point he wants fire to consume these people, and now here he is, he's, he's blessing them, with the Holy Spirit. But if we're familiar with who Jesus is, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because this is exactly the heart and the attitude that Jesus had towards Samaritans. This is why he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because when you get to the punchline of, well, who's the good person in the story? It's the Samaritan. That really packs a punch for the Jewish people, right? Um, But we already mentioned this, but we see Jesus as he approaches the Samaritan woman at the well. 
You know, he's breaking all the cultural taboos of the day to, to pursue this woman, and, it, and, it's, and it's a woman who's got a lot of baggage, right? She's got a lot of sexual baggage in her life, and Jesus comes and he pursues her and he wants her, and it's not despite her baggage. It's because of her baggage that he's pursuing her because he wants to offer her life, and he actually wants to offer her the Spirit. He wants to offer her the Spirit, and so it's because of her baggage he's pursuing her, because this is the heart of Jesus. He pursues us because of our baggage, right? And, and, and he's offering her to the Spirit, and, and so this is what the apostles are doing. They're giving the Spirit to the Samaritans, and we're seeing how there is unity coming between people who are hostile in the church. So, so we're, we're seeing the heart of Jesus in, in unifying these, these two people groups. Um, but now some of you maybe are, are familiar with these verses um, because they're, they're kind of used in, in a, a hotly debated thing amongst um, denominations and, and Bible scholars. Um, and it's the issue of when do we receive the Holy Spirit? Maybe some of you kind of caught it as we were reading it. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I think it actually detracts from the, the main point of, of uh, what Luke's trying to show us in this text, but uh, I think it is worth mentioning. So um, there are some denominations that will take these verses out of its context and say, this, this proves that the Holy Spirit is not something you initially receive because we've got these people, they were baptized, they believe in the good news, but they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. And so what we need to do is we need to have some sort of, um, usually the term is baptism in the Spirit. And maybe some of you are familiar with this. You know, you grew up in, in a context where this was taught. And so you have to have some sort of unique baptism of the Spirit to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, um, Kevin's kind of mentioned this quite, quite a bit as, as we go through the book of Acts. Um, we need to separate out prescription versus description. Right? Is this a text that's prescribing something, or is it just describing an event that happened? So, so this is not prescribing the way that all Christians ought to receive the Holy Spirit, but it's describing a unique event that happened, right? Um, but here are just kind of some, some bullet points to, to show that. So, um, so when do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, it's kind of a, a fuzzy thing. It's not like a, we've gotten to a box of, okay, he always works this way. So think about the apostles, right? Um, Jesus ascends into heaven, and they had to wait all the way until Pentecost to receive the Spirit. So does that mean that they weren't actually believers up until that point? Uh, I don't know if I want to answer that question. But um, then you've got, we're going to run into Saul, who is Paul, and I don't want to spoil part of his story, but I have to. Um, so he, he encounters the resurrected Jesus, and then it's three days later that he re receives the Spirit, right? So he's believing in Jesus, he encounters Jesus, but then three days later he receives the Spirit, right? So, you know, you've got this long time for the apostles, you've got, you've got Paul three days later, um, but then there's some context where it seems like it's immediate. They receive the Spirit immediately, right? So if we try to fit the Holy Spirit in a box of, of this is how he works, or this is how he works, this is when we receive him. I, I don't think that's right. Um, but then we also see uh, throughout Acts, it, they'll have different language of, and, and Peter filled with the Spirit, or, or Paul filled with the Spirit, or even the whole church when they, when they prayed for boldness. It says they're filled with the Spirit. 
So which is it? Do they have the Spirit, or are they later filled with the Spirit? And the answer is yes. Um, so I, I know that kind of having ambiguity in this can be a little frustrating, because we, we want to make it a blanket statement. And there are some people who will say, well, because this text was a unique event, we saw that it's a unique event, that it only happened once this way, and, and it'll never happen again. And I just don't, I'm, I'm not convinced enough right now to, to say that, that I think that's right. To say this is a unique event. The Holy Spirit's a person, so let's treat him like a person, right? He works in mysterious ways, and, 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 and so I think sometimes we experience subsequent uh, fillings of the Spirit within our lives. Now, I, I say that, and again, there might be a tinge of anxiety of, well, do I have the Spirit? But we, we do have a promise, and so this is um, a text we've got on the screen here. But Ephesians 1.13 says, um, In him, meaning Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So th- this is a promise that we have, that if we believe, we, we are sealed with the Spirit, so we don't, have to, we don't have to doubt that. But at the same time, we might experience greater manifestations of the Spirit's work in our lives. And I think it's actually appropriate to pray for that too. Because the Holy Spirit works in, in various ways, right? Um, but I also don't want us to just feel like because we prayed a prayer, we, we think we're covered. We think we're good, right? I prayed a prayer one time. Let, let's use this to kind of poke and prod within us um, and, and, and kind of ask that question, do I have the Holy Spirit, right? So I know that's kind of an ambiguous answer, but that's the best I'll give you. Um, all right, so all of that said, I don't think that's the main point of what Luke is trying to, to, to speak on here. But um, okay, so now on to the next section, starting at verse 18. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had uh, testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Um, this is kind of intense words of Peter. And I'll confess that when I first read this, there's a little uh, piece of me that was thinking, man, Peter, you're, you're a little bit too harsh with, with Simon. I mean, maybe he just didn't know, right? Maybe he just didn't know that, that you're not supposed to offer money to get the Holy Spirit, whatever. Um, but as you begin to dissect this, you begin to see um, the, the, the true heart issue that's coming from Simon. And um, so one of the things to note is that Simon's not asking for the Holy Spirit himself. He's not interested necessarily in the Holy Spirit as a person. He is interested in the 
the power that the Holy Spirit can give him, the ability to lay hands on other people and they can receive the Spirit. He, he wants, again, it, this is a man who's boasting in of himself. This is a man who has been called divine by other people. And so he wants that ability to, to, to again, keep, keep boasting in himself, keep proclaiming in himself. So he's not interested in the Holy Spirit, but he's interested in the, in the power of the Spirit. So you can already see he, he, he has uh, other motives. But then even more so than that, him offering up money is, is, is completely misunderstanding the, the free gift of grace of the gospel. It's completely to misunderstand the whole character and the nature of who God is and what he is doing by freely giving us Jesus, the good news, and the Holy Spirit. So he is, he is actually denying what it means to have a free gift of grace by offering up money because he thinks that he can just buy his way into this. He thinks he's meriting the Holy Spirit or the power of the Spirit. He thinks he's earning his way into this, right? But we also see that th this isn't just necessarily a money issue. The, is it, the issue is not just simply a money issue, but it's an issue of the heart. In, in verse 21, uh, Peter says that your, your heart is not right before God. This is an issue of the heart, right? And I, and I talk about this a lot, the, the, the issue of the heart, because Jesus talks about how it's the, from the heart that flows out all wickedness. From the heart flows. So it's not simply just the issue of money, but it's the issue of the heart that, that is causing this sin of money, right? Um, but, but even more so, we're adding more layers to this, uh, he says that he is in the, the bond of iniquity. And this is a really important phrase, the bond of iniquity, because it's, it's easy to look at Simon and, and think, yeah, okay, honestly, I don't really struggle with that. I haven't tried to bribe my way into the gospel. Right? Maybe, I mean, maybe some of you have struggled with that, but probably a lot of us here haven't. Um, but but he, it says that he's in the bond of iniquity. And this reminds me a lot of um, what, what Jesus actually said to uh, the Jewish people. So um, we've got it up here on the screen, but it's John 8. And it says, um, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, so, so what Jesus is saying is, is offensive to the Jewish people. They're saying, we're not in bondage to anyone. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, yes, you are. You're in bondage to sin. You are a slave to sin. And this is exactly what Peter is saying to, to Simon. He's saying, he's saying, you are in the bond of iniquity or the bond of unrighteousness. All of us, in some way, whether it's, maybe it's not money, but we try to merit our way into the good news of Jesus. 
We, we think that we can do enough good to, 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 to earn a little favor with God, or we can, we can uh, you know, be, be good enough on our, I, I don't know, whatever, fill in the blank, you know. We, we think there's something we can do to, to merit our way. And, and this is just another way of poking and prodding in our heart that we, too, ha- have a heart that is not right before God because we are all bound to sin. All of us are enslaved to sin in one way or another. But the, but the good news that Jesus talks about is that he wants to set us free. Jesus is not saying this just as condemnation to make you feel bad. He's saying, I am, I am pursuing you because I want to set you free from, from, from your bondage. And this is exactly the same offer that is, that is given to um, Simon. Because Peter says to him, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. He, he's offering to Simon... Forgiveness. He's saying there, there is forgiveness. You can be freed from this, right? And so this is the offer that stands before all of us. That, that we, are, we are bound to our sin, but Jesus is, is, is coming to us and he wants to set us free. Right? So this, this again, we see the heart of Jesus in this. And so this leads right into our um, gospel application so, again, here at Center Church, uh, we do what's called gospel application. It's, it's not anything that, that we do. We're not buying our way. We're not meriting our way into salvation or relationship with Jesus. But it's purely everything that Jesus has done for us. And so what we are called to do is we're called to just believe in Jesus. Just, just behold, it's, it's what Paul says. He, he says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're conformed into his image. True change doesn't happen within our own strength. It only happens through beholding the glory of Jesus, right? Um, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we've, we've already belabored the point. Um, but first point of gospel application is that Jesus pursues us. It doesn't, it doesn't matter the baggage that you have. Jesus is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, go against all the cultural taboos. He's going to pursue those who are, are broken, who are in the midst of their sin, just like he did the, the Samaritan woman, just like the apostles did with the, the Samaritans by bestowing the gift of the Spirit upon them, right? We're, we're seeing that. Um, Jesus pursues us, right? It doesn't matter the baggage that you have, but, but the second point is that Jesus comes to set us free. He sees that baggage. He sees our bondage in sin, and, and what he wants to do is he wants to set us free because this is, this is the heart of Jesus. This is who he is at his core, is he wants people to come to them, come to him with, with baggage so that he can bring healing and restoration. Right? This is the same gift that was offered to Simon. It's the same gift that's offered to us right now. Uh, So let's pray. Father, we thank you um, just for the good news of Jesus that he does want to set us free. He does want to um, heal us, restore us from, from all of the the baggage that we have, the sin in our lives. And so I pray, Father, that you um, would just 
Help us to believe that that's true this morning. To believe that that's true, that good news, the grace of Jesus is offered to us. And that we can just rest in that promise. We can rest in that promise that Jesus will set us free. He will restore us. And through that, we can experience true change. So maybe there's um, sins that people are holding on to that they can't seem to break. I, I pray, Father, that, the, that um, you would help them to experience freedom in Jesus from that sin. Um, maybe it's, it's uh, feeling burdened by um, just a, a world of hurt and pain in their lives. And I, pr- I pray, Father, that they would experience the healing and restoration through Jesus right now. So I ask, Father, that you would work miracles, that your spirit would just move through um, our worship as well. And so we give this up to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.